listeners, welcome to another show on Rising Above Shadows of Abuse. I'm your host, Grace Opar. A man ticks all the boxes in her wish list when considering the requirements of a prospective relationship, except that she overlooked and failed to include some very important attributes that eventually resulted in psychological and emotional harm. Lorraine relates a cautionary tale for our times and gives a warning to those who ignore the value of legally enforcing any relationship outside of the protections found in marriage. Today, I have the pleasure of interviewing or conversing with the amiable, beautiful, down-to-earth, Lauren Marshall. Hello, Lauren. Welcome to the show. Would you like to um, kindly tell us a bit about yourself? Right, okay. So um, I used to live in the UK, in the northeast of England. And while I was there, I started a business um, around 2005. Started a business in property management and student rentals. Uh, And I basically continued that business until about 2016. Um, My partner, unfortunately, who I'd started the business with he actually died in 2006 which meant that I mostly continued that business um, on my own but uh, by 2016 I'd already moved to Spain uh, and I'd found another partner in 2009 uh, and I started to live in Spain and uh look at how I might be able to do some other types of business, online business, to uh, keep my independence. And it didn't work out, to be quite honest. Um, Nothing that I tried worked out. Um, And eventually, while I was here in Spain, um, my partner decided that he was going off in a new direction and terminated the relationship very, very suddenly in the middle of 2020, which was the COVID year, the lockdown. Um, And so that's basically a little bit of my background. Um, And in the last two years, I have been living under the threat of eviction because my ex-partner, although he'd promised a lot of things and basically said that this property that we were going to share, we were meant to share it 50-50, he changed his mind as soon as he moved back to the UK. As soon as he was with his new lover, he changed his mind, pulled the rug completely away and left me here and threatened me with going to court to have me evicted. Um, So... In April of 2021, after suffering quite a lot of mixed emotions, grief, shame, guilt, um, and realising that the relationship that I had been involved in had been emotionally and psychologically abusive, which was a massive, massive blow, um, I started to write my own creative non-fiction book, my debut book, 
which is called post-separation abuse, betrayal and abandonment, what type of man? The reason for what type of man is when I was um, looking for a new relationship in 2009, it was my birthday, it was March um, in 2009 when I met this new man. But in the January, I always sit down and think, right, okay, what's my goals for the year? What do I want to achieve? And I actually write things down. So this January of 2009, I started off a piece of paper with what type of man do I need for my next relationship? Having been lost my partner um, in 2006. And I wrote down, I wanted a kind, generous businessman, someone who I could go on holiday with two or three times a year, um, a caring person. And, you know, I wrote these types of things, things I wrote down. And um, to be quite honest, when I met this man in 2009, March, and had a relationship, the beginning of that relationship was everything that I'd actually wrote down. Someone to laugh together, someone to go on holiday with, a kind, generous, caring businessman. Uh, so all of the box, all of the things were ticked off. Um, but there were some things I obviously didn't put down on that list and I'm a little bit wiser now because I didn't put down that this person should be free and willing to commit to a relationship and that the person should be healthy in body and healthy in mind and mm -hmm. so um, that's a couple of the mistakes that I made when I wrote down my wish list for what type of man that I uh, wanted to attract into my life. And so I've corrected that because when I've wrote this book, I have got a section in the book that details some of how you can actually write out what type of man and the qualities and things that you should look for when you're looking to attract a new person into your life. Okay. So that's why the adage says, be careful what you wish for. Yes, <laughs> be careful what you wish for. So um, also when um, we had a, a chat prior to the interview, you said you do a bit of uh, crowdfunding. So what is that for? Well, um, when my partner terminated the relationship, I'd had this idea came to us, which was, for an empowerment retreat for women who have suffered um, from emotional and psychological types of abuses or maybe have been through what I call the three Ds of relationship endings. So my first one is D for divorce. The okay. second one is D, death of a partner or a spouse. And the third one is discard, as in, the sudden termination or abrupt termination of a relationship. So any of the three days of relationship endings, because those can be very traumatic. Mm -hmm. uh, you go through a lot of grief, uh, a lot of mixed emotions, and a lot of the time you actually lose your self-esteem, your confidence, and you can lose your house, your finances, uh, you could be left basically emotionally, psychologically and financially devastated at the end of a relationship that ends suddenly 
or with the death of a partner because sometimes well in law if you're not married and you're cohabiting then you aren't entitled to uh, certain things because you weren't in a married relationship and I researched that part and I put those into into this book because at the time that I wrote this book in 2022 the law was looking the uk government was looking again at whether or not they should make cohabiting relationships on equal terms with married relationships and the government decided in november of 2022 on the 1st of november released the report and they decided against it again so from 2007 to 2022 there isn't parity with cohabitation and living together there's no parity with the uh, marriage in law apart from if you live in scotland because scotland does have and they did introduce um a living together law in scotland but england and wales doesn't have it i think it's been um it's been put into law now for civil partnership because if for you civil don't partnership, yeah. yeah civil partnership it's called civil partnership in law so it's it's acceptable now in 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 wales and uh and england so to speak so that leads me to the next question you have a background in fundraising and marketing how has this helped you in the quest for redress well at the moment, um, I haven't really gone forward with the marketing um, of the fundraising. Um, it's still an idea that I would like to go forward with, but unfortunately, I have not been in the right mindset uh, to do um, the whole marketing thing and reaching out with to people uh, because of a sudden death of my youngest daughter in December last year. So sorry to hear that. Yeah. and it's been a bit of a struggle but I'm uh, I'm not one to sort of give up and so I am still um, got that idea to move forward with and I am still looking at ways that I can rebuild my life and to um, aim for something better in the future thank you for that and on Facebook you wrote now one morning, I arrive at work and the computer passwords need to be changed. I ended up being locked out. What happened between you and the organization you worked for? That was a long time ago and I remember that very well. Um, I was working for an organization which um, was under the, and it was for an organization, but it was with an agency. I remember turning up for work and couldn't get into the computer um there was only four people who were on that department and i rang to get some assistance nothing happened and i asked the the guy sitting next to me would he be able to help and he said he was busy he couldn't help so i sat there um and couldn't get in didn't want there was no help whatsoever and basically, after I sat for a few minutes, I just got to the point where I thought, right, that's it. I don't want to be here. I'm not going to just sit here, not doing anything at all. And uh, I turned around to all my colleagues and said, right, I'm, I'm going uh, and I'm not coming back. And I basically walked out. 
took my handbag, got to the car and just went home and never was, never returned. And um, that was hard because I didn't have a job to go to. And at that point in my life um, is when we were starting out on the business. Uh, we'd only just sort of had the idea to start the property management business, me and my partner at that time. And um, I had, uh, I had uh, been for a few different interviews. And within two weeks of walking out of that job, a letter arrives which says, um, the interview that you've had, you've been successful and did you want to take up the appointment? And that appointment was to work with the um, Government Office Northeast wow. and Timeway Partnerships as European Funding um, Monitoring Officer. And it was double the salary. Hmm. So that was timely then. Yeah. <laughs> and a, a blessing in disguise, I guess. Blessing in disguise. And like one door closes and another one opens. So we, you talked about your partner mm -hmm. um, previously, and uh, not in this interview, but when we had a chat. Mm -hmm. um, I was wondering what made him become irrational so that you could not communicate with him? He didn't like to lose control, basically. And if I wasn't doing what he wanted me to do, I because I have ideas and I have, um, I was putting things down rationally, writing an email, asking whether or not I, there was like, could I actually purchase the property? Did I have to leave? And there was lots of questions unanswered. And I really did want to have a discussion. Um, but he he didn't really want to talk about anything. And he got annoyed by the fact that I had had the idea to create a retreat business. This was an idea that I wanted to go forward with. And in 2020, I think it was August 2020, uh, I actually put a, a page for fundraising together, knowing what my position was and knowing how precarious I was. And I was actually in fear and didn't know what I was going to do, how I would do anything. But I put this page together and I shared it with a few people who were friends and neighbours. And um, basically one friend shared that page uh, onto her profile on Facebook. And mm. from that, uh, he saw that and was very, very angry about how I shared this uh, GoFund page in mm. order to set up a business here. So he, he indirectly didn't want you to have something to your name. Is that it? Well, I think so. It's just that he just didn't like me wanting to do anything in and to be successful. I just don't think he really wanted me to do anything that might make me successful. Okay. So I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you this question mm -hmm. in relation to uh, con a controlling relationship. What do you think is a controlling relationship, and what do men do in order to um, take control of, of, of their partner, so to speak? 
Well, what I would say is that this, they, they can be angry in certain times. So if you want, see, you've got a boundary or you want to ask a question or you've got something that you need to talk about, if that is going to uh, upset them or um, question their morals or, you know, their ideas and beliefs, then they get like just basically release anger and, and rage. Mm. Uh, and then quite often when that's happened a few times, then you know not to question. So you just let things go because you think, well, if I say this, then this is going to happen because you know what's going to be the next thing. You know that's going to cause an anger. You know that's going to cause their rage because I experienced it a few different times, like to question something or to ask something or, or to, to share feelings that you have um you know and so when it comes back as like anger yeah you know the next time not to be not to do it basically and mm. you do make excuses to be honest you do have a lot of things that you'll brush away under the carpet because of oh, uh, he's in pain he's got ill health um it's the diabetes it's the arthritis it's like he's got too much work on mm. and so there's lots of different things that you will have that will come to you and say right this is why he's like that mm. all the different excuses that you make so in a way it seems as if it's it makes the woman conditioned to their responses so to speak yes you become more submissive and you um, you don't set your own boundaries, which is to, to, to say, right, okay, you can go so far, but then that's it. So you, you might try to be more like you end up being in a position where you are having to please them. So you end up in that position that anything that you were saying that you were wanting, it's like a back it's like on the back burner. It's like, well, I can't do this because I have to make them, I have to please them. So he would say things like, you should be anticipating my needs. And then you're like thinking, well, how do you anticipate needs? <laughs> so you're left wondering, but you basically left in a position where you have to make sure everything is okay. Everything is right. You've got in the, the enough shopping and, and alcohol in and the house is clean so you know that everything has to be just right because you don't want to upset things yeah so so what, what what i can hear you say is that you have to please them make them happy at your own expense that's right because you can't go forward with any ideas or any of your own goals your own dreams your own aspirations because every time you attempt to do something, I mean, it could be for other people, it could be that, oh, you want to um, get a higher paid job or you want to do some college work or something like that. And you'll, quite often you'll find that they'll try to sabotage any attempts that you try to make to better yourself. That is really uh, painful. It is. And it's a bit of pill to swallow, honestly. But, um, but this is what happens in controlling or coercive controlling um, relationships.
are the problems you have encountered to do with not being married or in a recognized relationship when in relation to your ex-partner? Um, I didn't really think about the relationship as uh, not being stable, to be honest, even after his um, confession of an affair. I that ended because I I even asked um, if you don't want me in your life, you know, please let me know, tell me if you don't want me in your life. And he said, yes, I, I do still want you in your life. So then I decided, right, okay, forgive this, what's happened. Lots of women forgive partners who've had affairs. It's, yeah. it's like a universal thing that happens. They forgive them, they keep together the, for the children's sake or for whatever sake, but they keep together. And so I was in that position myself. And I thought, right, okay, he's done this, it's disrespectful, it's this, 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 but he still wants me, so I will forgive. And I did. And I moved on and I got my confidence regained and got myself back into a level footing. Um, and so that was how it went. Um, are the problem you have encountered to do with not being married or in a recognised relationship? Yeah, I think it is because the, uh, in Spain, there is um, a, a way to legalise living together. Okay. Where you go to the local authority and you register as living together. So that gives you some protection. But I never thought that the relationship would end. I never thought that he would be unfaithful in the relationship. And I just um, trust, put my trust in him wholly, put my trust in him. And so I never asked to actually register the relationship. I never asked to go to the to go to the lawyer, the solicitor, and say, "Look, put my name on the on the property deed." I didn't ask that. Well, I knew that he had registered um, the house in his will as being um, as me being the sole beneficiary if anything would happen. He did that when the first year that we were here, but I. I just trusted him and I didn't think, oh, well, I should go to the solicitor with him and kind of make sure that my name is on actually on this um, and can I have a copy of this? I never thought to ask because I just put my trust in him, uh, which I shouldn't really have. And any, I would say basically an advice, real advice for anyone who's deciding to live together, whether in the UK or whether in Spain, would be, to make sure that you get something legal, legalised, whether it's a contract with a lawyer or whether it's to do with civil partnership or if you're in Spain to get the, um, the, the legal document to say that you're actually living together or to get actually to get married. And also to make sure that your name is on the, on the deed of the property as well, yeah. regardless if you're cohabitees, living together, civil partnership or not, because... Mm -hmm invariably you're going to be contributing to the upkeep of, of of the property or the home so to speak yeah i mean if you're not financially contributing you're still contributing even as a housewife a person who's living there you're still contributing in ways even if it's not financially 
because you're looking after the place and you, you know, you're doing the maintenance, you're cleaning, you're doing all sorts of other things. You're right, um, Lorraine. So you state that you have made a few misguided decisions over the years. What were these? A few misguided decisions were, okay, well, basically I have, um, I've been involved in some um, online education that I um I went into, I jumped into a program while uh, I knew um, that things weren't working properly in the relationship. There'd been a few different things that had happened. I'll call that a devaluation phase because after I moved here, uh, there seemed to be a few different little incidents that happened. Uh, I didn't understand what the incidents were, but I was really upset by the different things that happened. Now I look at back, I can say this was uh, like a devaluation phase. So I knew that I had to try and make an independent income for myself. And I went into a, an online business education. And when I went into that education business, um, it was closed down by the FTC. So within mm. eight months, I think it was, of joining and paying mm. um, for the education, it was actually completely closed down. And so I lost a lot of money and ended up with some credit cards that went uh, overdrawn, like sort of ramped up. And I'd, that was a, a, wasn't a good thing at the point of time that it happened. But not just me, because lots and lots of people were in the same position, hundreds and hundreds of people or even thousands of people who would actually appear to be part of this same education. Okay. So um, moving, moving forward, what advice would you give to women who are going through cohesive controlling relationships or abusive relationships? I would say to find a good community that you can reach out to that is trauma-informed, that knows about coercive controlling relationships, who can support you in what you're going through. Um, because I didn't even know what I was going through uh, until after the end of the relationship. And it was a massive hammer blow. Um, and then I started educating myself about coercive control, narcissistic abuse, and I ended up getting into a few different groups um, where I then understood more about the whole of the situation. Uh, and there's a lot of uh, women who end up trapped in relationships as well um, because they are uh, not financially independent, they're wholly dependent on their partners, they may have children, even if they don't have children, they may have ill health, um, then they struggle because if you haven't got an income, then you can't find a place to live. To leave a relationship when you've got a roof over your head, to leave a relationship when you've got no income, to actually find another place to go to is very, very difficult when you've got no credit rating and no income whatsoever. And when your partner doesn't really want you to earn anything or, or, or to go out and earn 
money independently, it's very difficult. Yeah, this is one of the major reasons why women who are in a coercive controlling relationship don't leave. These are the major factors. Where are they going to be leaving? I don't have money. What's going to happen to the children? I don't think I have the capability or the, the, the strength to be able to bring up the children. And this is one of the major things that um, stops women from leaving abusive relationships. Do you think the government will be um, supportive enough when such things play out for women who are going through um, abusive or coercive controlling behavior, uh, relationships? Do you think the government can play a major role in helping them out? And is there going to be supportive? What areas should they be supporting such women? Uh, right, okay. So basically, I don't, um, I don't think women do get a lot of support because the coercive controlling part of the domestic abuse bill um, is very um what can i say it's it's difficult to understand um what does that mean what is this coercive control thing mean that's the first thing and i think a lot of women um know that there's something not right in the relationship but they don't know it's a domestic abuse so if they don't know that it's domestic abuse they can't actually make a complaint about it um, because quite often it's insidious, it's basically covert, they don't know what's happening. Even mm. in my book, I actually quote the Crown Prosecution Service, mm. and um, we're talking about um, Kate Brown from the lead domestic of abuse. She actually states that domestic abuse does not always have to be physical to be prosecuted. Sometimes victims may not even be aware it's happening, and it can include any behaviour deployed by an offender to obtain control or power over another, and we recognise that emotional abuse can be just as harmful as physical violence. So she quoted that, and um, it might be quoted, but in order to move forward, if you're a woman, a victim, that you've been in a relationship emotional, psychological abuse, coercive control, power and control, when you actually seek help, uh, there's a lot of failure in the system. First of all, when you go to the police station um, and try to make a statement, quite often it's not really taken up or like you can't explain yourself of what's happening because it's been related to, I've read a book and it's been related to like uh, death by a thousand paper cuts. So when you've got somebody who you've, you, you just get a small cut here and a small cut there and a small cut here and a small cut there. When it's just a paper cut, you're not going to run to the police and say, oh, I'm being abused. It's over a period of time. It can take five years, 10 years, it could be 15 years that a person's been in relationship but don't understand what's happening until that person's been devalued so much that they've lost all sense of self. And that's how powerful it can be, that the person's whole self-confidence is eroded away. 
and you have to start from the basic again. And women can end up very traumatized by it. And I know that there's all this elaborate laws for, do, for domestic abuse, coercive control, emotional, psychological abuse. But it's no use if when a victim presents to different organizations to say, it's, I've been abused, it was coercive control, when the people you speak to don't understand. Solicitors, uh, police, social services, even doctors or the health and nurses and things like that. So if you try to um, convey a situation and you're not listened to, then you don't get help. And I think there's a lot of women out there, not just in the UK, but across the whole of um, the world that have experienced exactly the same thing. Where they ah. don't get the help. I mean, domestic abuse services and charities and things like that are set up. Um, but I hear all of the time by other women that it's a lottery, it's a postcode lottery, depend where you live, how much money they've got, how good they are at fundraising and all of that. And um, a lot of the organisations that are set up are campaigning organisations and not front-facing. They don't help victims. They campaign on behalf of the victims to change the laws. That is quite uh, off-putting, so to speak, because yes. it's like they are not actually doing the work to support these women. They're campaigning, like you said. But I believe there are one or two, there are co uh, quite a couple, not one or two, a few um, charities that actually help out. Yes, there is. I've, I've been in contact with some of them. So yeah, there are some that do help out. But in relation to the government, I'm thinking there should be more laws to support women going through uh, domestic abuse or cohesive controlling relationship. We have uh, laws back in New Zealand, I think New Zealand or Australia, whereby women are given incentives if they're working to, and they're going through domestic um, abuse, they're given some days off or weeks off to sort that out in court and then come back um, back to work, you know, sort out uh, in terms of where to put the children, if they have to put them in the nursery or get a minder and things like that. So they give them a, a, about a week or two to sort those things out. Mm -hmm. Once the, the establishment knows that they're going through domestic um, abuse. So I think such laws should be also put in place in the UK as well. Mm -hmm. This is really a very um, sensitive topic and it's quite diverse. It's quite deep. So we can't, uh, today's not enough to exhaust all the questions, but yes. it's been lovely having you, uh, Lorraine. Mm -hmm. And what would you, uh, what would be your pattern advice to women out there? Well, first of all, um, if you're going to live together in a relationship, make sure you protect yourself by uh, making sure you've got some, uh, your name on the deeds. If you're living with somebody and you've got a legalised certificate that you're going to live together, even if you go to a lawyer to sign like a, a, a living together agreement or something to protect yourself. And um, otherwise, remain independent if you can and have some form of savings or backup for yourself because 
if you end up wholly dependent with no savings and nothing to fall back on, if you need to leave, it's a massive, massive struggle. Um, in, for example, we talked about UK and the government, but in Spain, the laws gender violence is a bit different. And if you report a gender violence in Spain, the police go straight from a police statement court is 72 hours window. Wow. 72 hours. It has to be in court. And then if there's a dis if there's a, a distance order given by the judge and it's found that this person has been abusive, the woman is entitled to a monthly payment because the law recognizes that women find it very difficult to continue their work or continue uh, what what if they were earning or if they weren't earning. So they basically give them an allowance of like 400 euros a month for a whole year because they've been a victim of crime and it's an automatic payment that happens. So that's that's the difference between the UK and Spain. Wow, thank you so much for letting us know about this because I wasn't even aware of that. So do you think it's something that the UK government should inculcate into their law in the UK here? Well, I think it would be beneficial because a lot of women, and I've, I'm like an advocate with the um, surviving economic abuse now, uh, a lot of women go through um, the financial and economic abuse when they're in these controlling relationships. And um, if, if the UK government were to set something up where if it's found automatic uh, with the courts that there is um, abuse, then if they were to receive a, a payment for a period of like 12 months, I think that would help enormously. Uh, yeah, because uh, it's very difficult for women to recover. It can take months, if not years, to recover from psychological abuse. And I know that, you know, broken bones and bruises and bits and that can heal, but the, the psychological damage is the biggest and massive, the, the thing to, to heal from, to get over. It's it's huge. Yeah, you're right, Um Lorraine, you're actually right. Hmm. So on that note, um, we've come to the end of this show. Thank you so much, Lorraine, for being a guest here. We really appreciate your input. We appreciate uh, all you've done in relation to making sure people are aware hmm. about domestic abuse and the different forms. And also you're involved in the financial economic financial surviving economic abuse it's sea for short um and that's a campaign and organization um which um go out to um, financial organizations to give mm. them information about how uh, the power and control dynamic can end up with women who are financially abused in relationships and to so that the organizations can help the women if they're in that situation. So banks and mortgages and all of those types of different ones. That is really good. Thank you so much. It yeah. was lovely having you. Listeners, you've heard what Lauren has said. 
please, please, please make sure you get ample education on this topic. Make sure you stay safe and positive. Until our next show, it's been Grace Opa for Raza, Rising Above Shadows of Abuse. Bye for now and take care. Thank you. If you've got any questions or inquiries, you can get in touch rising above shadows of abuse at gmail.com or our social media platforms rising above shadows of abuse. Twitter rising above abuse.